Praise the Lord. Thank you, worship team, for leading us back into praise and worship and to remind us of the greatness of the Lord. He is great, isn't he? Come on, let me just remind you of what amen means. It means, yes, I, I definitely agree. He is great, amen? amen? Come on, one more time. He's great, amen? Amen. amen. We can be loud, we can be bold, and we can be excited about what God is doing. We have been in this series titled Ephesians, right? And this tagline, the eternal purpose of God lived out through the church as a, as a summarizing statement of this big, powerful book. Well, the book in itself is not big. It's six chapters, but what it contains is really big. And that's what we've been walking through over the past couple years. We're in our, I think, our 40th sermon in the book of Ephesians. I need to go back and count them all exactly, but I believe that's where we're at. And we're in Ephesians chapter 6. If you need a recap of all six chapters, if this is your first time here and you just want to catch up on the book of Ephesians, just go to walkchurch.com, download the Walk Church app, go to sermons. Last week, I preached a message titled, God's Plan According to Ephesians, and we walked through and recapped the first six chapters, or the first five and the first beginning of six. And today, we jump back into chapter 6 as we pick it up in our series. Before I lead us into our primary text for today, it's going to be a difficult text, a challenging text. I want to ask for a whole lot of grace as we walk through it and a whole lot of humility to learn together. So if you're down for those two things, say, I'm down. In the comments, if you're down for those two things, grace and humility, say, I'm down. Okay, great. Praise God. Some of y'all are on your phone right now in the chat. Go for it. Amen. I, mean, I am too. Right? I'm logging on stream and I'm in person. Um, but I want to do some, a little bit more catch-up, and not all the way back to Ephesians chapter 1 this time, but I want to journey back to Ephesians chapter 5 as we looked at some verses uh, last year that really led us into this moment. Context is so key, amen? And I never want us to just go ahead and isolate a verse outside of its context. We won't understand the riches and the fullness of it. In Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 18, we see Paul write this to the Ephesian church, as we can see here on the screen. He says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. This is such a key phrase, a key statement, a key scripture in the life of the Christian, in the life of our church. And in the life of this series through the book of Ephesians, if you, everybody say if, yeah. if you miss this, you miss everything. It's impossible to live the Christian life apart from the Holy Spirit of God. You can't do it. We're, we're dead people trying to live out in a live faith. We need to be resurrected by the resurrecting Christ. The Spirit of Christ needs to resurrect us to be able to walk this thing out. And that's why it's so important to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk through some different items that it's just, it, you just can't be who God has called you to be without Him in and through you. Amen? Does that make sense? That's why it's so important to be Spirit-filled. You might say, okay, well, give me some instruction on what spirit-filled living looks like. That's where we're going to go right now. Verse 18 leads into verse 19. Verse 19 says it like this. 
addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Spirit-filled living looks like spirit-filled addressing. If you don't like to address people, you need to start doing that. You need the Spirit of God, amen? It's not easy to address people, especially for the introverts in the, wor- in the room. We like to just kind of put our head down. If they don't make eye contact, then I don't see them. We don't have to say anything. So you, you probably hated the, the part in the service where we say, okay, just take a moment and greet somebody, right? You're like, man, I'm just going to stay right here. Please, nobody talk to me. But something about when the Holy Spirit fills you, you have to say something to somebody, even if it's just like this. Hello. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. I wanted to just give you a greeting. Now, we don't have to do what the Apostle Paul tells us in a different text where he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Let's just go ahead and refrain from that, okay? Let's keep our masks on in our greeting right now, and let's love people through that. But doesn't mean don't greet one another or address one another. Spirit-filled living looks like addressing one another. In Psalms, address people with the Word of God. Address people with hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Let me go ahead and highlight this part. It says singing. Spirit-filled living looks like spirit-filled singing. Again, let me just talk to the people that just dislike the worship part of our service as far as singing. Like, I know that there's some people that say, you know what, I'm going I'm to get there right around the time the sermon starts. <laughs> so I can miss the singing, Right? And, it's, and it, it, it has less to do with our worship team. It has more to do that they just don't like singing. And I get it. I get it because I, as a college student, when I got saved, I didn't get or like singing either. Didn't make sense. What's the person next to me thinking? I'm not a good singer. But then when the Holy Spirit takes over your life, you just seem to forget about some of those things, right? And you just say, I'm going to sing because the Spirit in me is singing. That's what they're doing in heaven I'm, I'm singing as, as a response to what Christ has done for me, spirit-filled singing. And then you're like, well, you know what, I, just, I might hold off on the singing, I might just do spirit-filled melody harmonizing, amen? Come on, you can just be walking through the day, just, hmm, great are you, Lord. Just something, just start thinking, it just jumps on you, it just starts coming out of you, to the Lord with your heart. Sing to the Lord with your heart. Go to him. Give him the praise that he deserves. Spirit-filled living, spirit-filled addressing, spirit-filled singing. And then we go ahead and jump into this next part into verse 20. It says, giving thanks with all ways and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Spirit-filled living is addressing, singing, and, come on, say it with me. It's a G word. Giving. Giving. The Holy Spirit will mess you up. Can I hear somebody just say facts? (laughs) Right? The Holy Spirit will cause you to start giving, where all of a sudden now you're just giving stuff away. You're giving of finances. You're giving of generosity. You're giving of thanksgiving. Everything that God has given you, you just start to pay him back thanks. Where you, you thought that you deserved it, and then you recognized, no, you actually deserved hell. But instead, he gave you grace, and so your response is thanks. Giving thanks always and for everything. Who? To God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Typically, up to this point, and if my memory serves me correct, even when we walk through all these verses in full sermons, everybody was pretty much on board and like, okay, singing, addressing, giving, I'm good with that. But the next verse is the verse that gets a little bit muddy. If you're ready, say ready. 
All right, then we go on from spirit-filled living to submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So spirit-filled living, I'm coloring it in for you, right? It looks like addressing people, talking to people, getting to know people. It looks like singing and worshiping God. It looks like making melody to the Lord with your heart. It looks like giving whatever God calls you to give because the Spirit is prompting you to do so. And friend, oh my goodness, it looks like submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I remember we did a series called Spirit-Filled Submission. We talked about submitting to one another. We talked about submitting to leaders. We talked about how we need to redeem the word submission. It's a biblical word that just has been tainted throughout culture because of how it's been used in wrongful and dangerous ways. And the Apostle Paul says, spirit-filled living shouldn't just start in the church. Come on, somebody, right? Spirit-filled living should start in the home. And Paul says, okay, I have some wisdom from the Spirit of God, some instruction for the home. He says, spirit-filled living leads into the home. And he says, from here at this point, he says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands and to their, their headship and their leadership. And it says, husbands, love your wives and lay your life down for them in self-sacrificial love talks about the spirit-filled marriage, spirit-filled wives, spirit-filled husbands, and how when they work together, it is a beautiful picture of the gospel. We did some interviews and talked to different spirit-filled couples and how this works out in their lives and how the only way it's possible to be a spirit-filled husband, a spirit-filled wife, is to be filled with the Spirit. And that's why we need to continue to get out of the way so Christ can live in and through us and fill us to do the things that we couldn't do on our own. Spirit-filled marriage then leads to spirit-filled children, right? Paul is, he's continuing verse 18 into all the context of culture. He says, family, church, husbands, wives. Then he says, spirit-filled kids honor their mother and their father. And it says, spirit-filled parents Do not provoke your children to anger, but lead them and love them and teach them, right? And some of the parents are like, man, that's hard to do with my kids. That's why you need the Spirit of God. Some of your kids are, some of your children, right, are saying, man, it's hard to honor my mother and father. That's why you need the Spirit of God. Some of your wives are saying, it's hard for me to submit to my husband. I know because you need the Spirit of God. Husbands, it's hard to lay my life down for my wife. I know because you need the Spirit of God. Sometimes it's hard to submit to each other at church. I know, you need the Spirit of God. Jesus tells Peter on the hardest night of his life, the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So if you ever feel that way, just know you're in line with the gospel. You're in line with Peter, the disciples. The flesh was weak. If you got all that, say, I got it. That was supposed to be just a quick recap intro of where we've been. Because as we approach this, this next chunk of Scripture, I want you to know that the, the thread continues. And this next chunk of Scripture is challenging, is deep, is weighty, it feels sticky. 
and God has something to teach us through it because every word of God, amen, proves true and is good for our correction, teaching, encouragement, reproof, and that's where we're going today. The title of today's message is simply this, Spirit-Filled Work in the Context of Slaves and Masters. I know, you could drop a needle in the room right now. This is a challenging subject to preach. One thing that I would say really quick before we enter in is that I want you to be encouraged that you're part of a church here that doesn't ask, what should we preach to tickle people's ears? Rather, to ask, what verse is next in the chapter? One option would be, let's just skip these next five verses and jump right to the armor of God stuff, which I would be lying to you if it didn't cross my mind. But we believe that every verse is important for us, deserves treatment, and for far too long, scriptures that we're about to read have been skipped over, not talked about, not unpacked in its context and how it applies to today. And so today we're saying we're going to wrestle with the text, and I believe God's going to speak to us through it in his own unique way, and I do ask again for grace and humility as we talk about it. Amen? So let's, come on, preach. Holy Spirit, let's pray. Father, we ask you in Jesus' name for your help. God, we've been talking about being filled with the Spirit. I pray you would fill me with the Spirit to deliver your word, and I pray you would fill everybody watching this online and engaging, everybody who is in the room right now engaging, that we would all be filled with your Spirit. Our minds can't even comprehend some of these things unless we're filled with the Spirit. Our hearts are broken and in need of healing. We need the Spirit. So Holy Spirit, you're not in third place. You're equal with the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, three in one. We need all of you in this place today. So teach us now through this word in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Bond servants. Some of your translations would use the word slaves. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with good will as to the Lord and not to a man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening. Knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. If we look at this text of scripture, we see Paul take us on the spirit-filled journey. He says spirit-filled addressing, spirit-filled giving, spirit-filled singing, spirit-filled marriage, spirit-filled children. And I believe that this is a reference to spirit-filled work, but not alone. 
there is a subject at hand that we do need to deal with. We see this word bondservants. I want to just talk about this phrase bondservants for a moment. It's the Greek word doulos, which translates to the English word slave. The definition for bondservant or doulos is one who gives himself up to another's will. When we talk about this phrase, bondservants or slaves, it's, it's giving us this picture of somebody who's put themselves under the will and authority of another person. And in this century, in the Roman Empire, slavery was rampant. Slavery was a part of the culture. Many scholars believe that there were estimated of 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire when this letter was written to the church in Ephesus. Paul is addressing this type of relationship. Masters, it's the Greek word kurios, to whom a person or thing belongs, about which he has power of deciding. This phrase master is referring to this person to whom a person or thing belongs to. This person has power of deciding in an authoritative manner over a specific person. Slaves and masters. Now, I want to go ahead and clarify a couple things before we jump into the text and extract some principles that I do believe can still be helpful till this, to this day. Um, it is likely, I'll just say this, I'm not saying this for everybody, but it is likely that what you're envisioning when you hear slaves and masters is different than how you, than how it may have actually looked in this time. If you're like me, when you hear slaves and masters, you probably are thinking race-based slavery in America hundreds of years ago with enforced labor laws that were inhumane and horrific and you got images and history channel movies and education in your mind, and that's where your heart goes today. But I want to I challenge you to, to not go there alone. I'm not saying that we take away from our historical background in America because it's important to learn from and it's necessary to know. But that's not when Paul was addressing this subject 2,000 years ago. Is everybody still with me? So, so this sermon is, is, is part motivational. This sermon is part educational. This sermon is part historical. And I pray that it's all spiritual. All in one. So we're going to work through it together. Commentator R. Kent Hughes says, It is natural that advice regarding the conduct of masters and slaves be given. Because nearly every household was affected or even dominated by master-slave relationships. Right? Here's what Hughes is saying. He's saying it's actually very natural for Paul to write about this. It wasn't a sticky topic for him. It was the dominant relationship within the culture. Again, 60 million slaves were in the empire, right? And so Paul is saying, okay, you know what? Look, it's not my place right now to really agree or not agree on it. I'm just going to address it and give some reform to it. I'm going to give some wisdom to it. I'm going to give some treatment to it out of the spirit-filled life. 
Slavery, in, in large part during this time frame, was, was not race-based at all. Again, let me give you some more content from Hughes. He says, slaves under Roman law in the first century could generally count on eventually being set free. He says, very few ever reached old age as slaves. Slave owners were releasing slaves at such a rate that Augustus Caesar introduced legal restrictions to curb the trend. Despite this, inscriptions indicate that almost 50% of slaves were freed before the age of 30. What is more, while the slave remained his master's possession, he could own property, including other slaves, and completely controlled his own property so that he could invest and save to purchase his own freedom. Regarding outward appearance, it was usually impossible to distinguish a slave from free persons. A slave could be a custodian, a salesman, or a CEO. Many slaves lived separately from their owners. Finally, selling oneself into slavery was commonly used as a means of obtaining Roman citizenship and gaining an entrance into society. Roman slavery in the first century was far more humane and civilized than the American African slavery practiced in this country much later. This is a sobering and humbling fact. So I want us to have the context in mind when it comes to history, when it comes to geography, when it comes to culture, when it comes to context. Amen? Amen. It's important that we know these things as we dig into this text. Context is key. I learned this recently. I'm going to say something, and I'm going to ask you to not judge me, okay? I have never seen a single episode of Star Wars. I'm sorry, man. I, call me to repentance, right? I haven't. I've never seen a Mandalorian, a Wandalorian. I don't know whatever they are, but I hear all of this buzz, so I recently approached a a friend who is a Star Wars fanatic, and I said, where do I start? Because I can't, and, and he gave me some info, and he said, oh, it's super important that you start at the right place because context is key. I was like, oh, okay, tell me where it is. And even his answer was all like, you gotta start here and then go there. Anyways, my point is this. It would be unwise of us to just jump into Ephesians 6, 5, without any context. And that's why I am reading these statements to you. Roman slavery consisted of clerks, bookkeepers, bank officers, cashiers, doctors, teachers, even pastors. In the Roman Empire, it would have not been rare or foreign for a master to be leading over their slave and then to go to church and the slave be the one preaching, which is just different than we oftentimes think of it today. I say all of that, and I want to make a clear point, that though slavery 2,000 years ago in the Roman Empire looked different than it did hundreds of years ago in the African-American slave, racial-based slavery laws, right? Though it looked different 2,000 years ago, both are still wrong. Can I get an amen from somebody? Both are still evil. Even though it looked much different, there is no room 
for either in the context of Christianity and what we believe to be this faith that we love and this Christ that we are following. There's no place for either. I am deeply grateful for Christian abolitionists, especially during Black History Month, right? Like Frederick Douglass, who made it his mission to break these chains of slavery, or Harriet Tubman, or William Wilberforce, or Harriet Beecher Stowe, or Sojourner Truth, or William Lloyd Garrison, and the history goes on of men and women who took a stance against slavery and said, I'm going to be the change because of the Spirit of Christ in me. Because of the gospel that has set me free, we can now set others free. Right? And this gospel changes who we are. It changes the way we live. And the gospel changes our thinking. Amen? The gospel changes our heart. The gospel changes how we feel. The gospel changes how we interact. The gospel takes people who were dishonest and makes them honest. The gospel takes people who were unloving and makes them loving. The gospel takes people who wouldn't address nobody, and now they're addressing people. The gospel takes people who don't sing, and now they're singing. They're, the gospel takes married couples that don't forgive each other and can't stand each other and makes them forgive each other and love each other and work it out. The gospel takes kids who would go off and squander their life in reckless living and puts them into a household where they honor their father and mother. The gospel takes parents who would otherwise maybe leave or disown their children and say, I'm going to stick it out with you and love you through it. The gospel changes the way people live and think and eat and do and breathe. The gospel changes everything. Amen? Does any, has anybody been touched by the gospel or is it just me? I was an idolater of sport and sport kept letting me down, but the gospel let me up. Why do I share heavy emphasis on the gospel? Well, because I believe that the Apostle Paul was under the conviction that the gospel was the solution for slavery. Case in point, the Apostle Paul could have wrote in this letter to Ephesians, and now slaves and masters, first off, slaves, rebel against everything your master is telling you to do, and start a protest against the Roman Empire and, and just go down the list of all these different items of rebellion. And it would have gotten messy. It would have hindered the Christian witness. It would have stifled what God was actually doing at that moment. Instead, what, what, what Paul does here, he says, look, I'm going to focus in on the gospel in this text all throughout Ephesians 5, it's about tearing down the wall of hostility between racial and ethnic lines. And what's going to happen is masters are going to get saved and they're going to say, I can't own people anymore. What's going to happen is gospel people are going to make their way into government and say, you know what, we're going to eliminate slavery. What's going to happen is this grassroots gospel movement is going to take over the land. And friends, that is what happened. Amen. As you look and study the context of history, it wasn't coming. From, do you find Jesus? He's saying, hey, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. It's mine anyway. He's saying, hey, bring me in front of Herod. I don't need to crucify him. 
God is going to judge him. The gospel is going to judge him. Jesus isn't changing social reforms as his primary purpose. Jesus is changing people's hearts. And those people are then going to make a difference in their own state, in their own domain. And so I'm not of one who just says, preach the gospel and just put your earmuffs on and don't do anything about it. I believe that the gospel leans into these conversations and changes people that change society. Changed people change people. Right? Healed people. Come on, say it. Heal people. Freed people. Free people. This is the gospel in action. So we see this on display here. The other thing that I would just remind us of, and then we're going to actually get some principles here. I'm going to make it quick, all right? The other thing that I want to remind you of is that Paul was saying this. When you are transformed and changed by the gospel, your identity is not in what you do, but in who you are. Does that make sense? So once you're you're transformed, you've been given citizenship and sonship with the Father, that that you have been adopted. Remember all the language, the, the blessings that come from faith in Christ. You have been adopted into a new family, the family of God. You're no longer anything else but a son or a daughter of the king. You're a new creation. Check out how Paul wrote to the Galatian church. In Galatians chapter 3, he tells us this. He says, there is no longer, right, there's neither Jew nor Greek. So you can't boast in your Judaism anymore. Right? The apostle Paul showed up. He said, I'm a Jewish leader. Everybody must submit to me. No longer does that work. Well, I'm a Greek. I have the most philosophical wisdom out of everybody. No longer does that work. Well, I'm a slave. Well, I'm free. Look, check this out. There is no male or female. I'm a male. I'm a female. There's none of that. No more boasting in what we do or who we think we are, right? Here's our boast. We're one in Christ. Amen? This is the gospel. The gospel is taking all this collection of culture, gender, ethnicity, geography, age. The gospel is taking all of that and making us one beautiful people. Right? It doesn't strip us of those things. It's not that that those things aren't valid anymore. It just means that we don't boast in them. We don't find our identity in them. Those things don't control who we are. So Paul is reminding the Ephesians, he goes, even though you might be in a slave-master relationship, you're in a relationship that's even above that, in Christ. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And this was the message that needed to be preached. The sad thing about Ephesians 5, 5 through 9, the verses that we've been looking at, is that these verses in American history became less a source of wisdom and more a source of weaponry. As we dive into the history of our past, what we find is you find Christian, in quote, by name, 
leaders, and even the founders of our country weaponizing Ephesians 5 and 6 and saying, hey, Paul wrote to the Ephesians and said, slaves must obey their masters, and so you must obey me if you're going to serve the Lord, and you're going to do that in, in ways that are horrific and sad and heartbreaking and out of the context of the Scripture. I want to remind you that nowhere in the Bible that I've found does the Bible endorse slavery. Does the Bible say it's a good thing? Does the Bible say people should be slaves? Does the Bible say there should be masters in control of men or women? Nowhere in the Bible have I found that verse. Only in the Bible have I found ways to deal with the problem of racism and the problem of slavery and the problem of slave-master relationships. You find this in the book of Exodus, where the people of God himself were enslaved to the Egyptians and Pharaoh. You, you find this throughout the journey. We, we do see this, but we do find God himself saying slavery by way of kidnapping and taking somebody and selling them to a person has always been denounced by God. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, we see God placing it in the law. He says, if a man is found stealing one of his brothers of the people of Israel, and if he treats him as a slave or sells him, then that thief shall die. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. The Old Testament text is saying how we know of slavery in America, a lot of people should have been dead a long time ago. They were actually held under the same biblical context from the beginning to the end as they were actually propagating. In another place, in Exodus chapter 21, God is giving these laws from the holy mountain. You find verse 16, whoever steals a man and sells him, that is American history slavery. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That's stealing people from a continent and selling him. This is biblical. The Bible is saying, I'm against that. Don't confuse Ephesians 6 with this. Is anybody with me? Whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. The Bible has always been clear that kidnapping, man-stealing, slavery on this type of look has been denounced by way of death. So what we're looking at in Ephesians 6 is, is not an endorsement of this. That has always been denounced. In the book of 1 Timothy, Paul says in this long list of sin that happens in culture, he says, and slavery by way of man-stealing should be denounced, should, should never be approached, should never be operated in. If you got all that, say, I got it. All right. Praise the Lord. I know we do. And the heartbreaking thing about the heartbreaking thing about everything that I'm preaching right now, and, and let me just see everybody's eyes for a second. Something that's heartbreaking. Heartbreaking, heartbreaking, heartbreaking. That should break our hearts, Walk Church and those online. Is that right now, February 14th, 2021, 
that there is an estimated 40 million people in slave-master relationships today across our world. 40, let me get this right, 40,000 of these slaves are currently in America. What a statistic that should break our heart. This is according to the Global, Global Slavery Index website. That estimated roughly 40.3 million individuals are currently caught in modern slavery, 71% of those being female, one in four being children, 40,000 currently in America. That this battle against this inhumane, evil, demonic relationship is still alive today. And so, church, I don't know exactly how to change it other than to say we need to continue to preach the gospel and make disciples that set people free and encourage people to change and repent of sinful lifestyle, that go share the gospel and make disciples and call people to repentance and set people free and not just have it by lips but by hands and action that's going to change the society we live in. Amen? I think that's the only way, church. But I want to see those numbers go down. I want to see sex trafficking stop in Las Vegas tunnels right on our strip. Amen. These things are happening in our own city. I say all that to just say, don't hear these verses and just think this is something of the past. But friends, this is present. And we need to deal with it. And the first place to always deal with struggle is prayer, amen? And maybe we make that our daily prayer list to pray for God to engage and intervene in the context of evil slavery still exists today. And that God would even maybe use us to make a difference. Finally, as I move into our final point in this message, which is going to lead to some quick action steps, all right? I want to remind you that the Bible is a big book that is is faithful and true throughout all the ages, all right? So here's what I want you to know, that the book of Ephesians, let's look at these verses in Ephesians, let's go back to our main text, right? These verses were written to a specific church, it was likely a house church, it was likely a small group of people on a specific continent between Asia and Europe, in a specific culture, the ancient Near Eastern culture, written in a different language, the Greek language. The customs were different. The societal norms and expectations were different. The time frame was different 2,000 years ago. But I want you to see all that, church, and I want you to see some principles underneath that that still almost like an arrow make their way through customs, culture, continent, language, and still arrive at us and still could apply today. If you got all that, say, I got it. Are you ready for some of these principles that made their way through customs, culture, continent, and language and can still apply for us today? Let's see. If you're you're ready, say, let's eat. Okay, let's go ahead. We're going to make this quick for our note takers. Feel free to take some notes. The first point is this, spirit-filled employees work respectfully. Spirit-filled employees 
work respectfully. As we look in Ephesians 6 about this slave-master relationship, there's principles that could be applied today into the work relationships that we have in our culture today. Because a lot of the work relationships then, not all of them, but most of them, majority of them, millions of them, actually look like ours do today. Spirit-filled employees work respectfully. Here's the text, Ephesians 6, 6, uh, 6, 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart. That when you go to work every day, use this as a moment to have a sincere heart, to to work out, to live spirit-filled, to obey your boss. Let me go ahead and say that. Amen. Amen. To to actually say, you know what, boss? I'm going to be the best employee you have. Here's why. Because I have Christ in me. Because I'm filled with the Spirit. So I'm not going to work at this job with an unsincere heart. Come on, does anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm not going to work here, not with fear and trembling, but I'm just working here. I'm just lazy. I'm rolling my eyes. I don't want to be here. I'm a lousy employee. You're not going to win anyone to Christ with that type of work effort. The Spirit of God will call you to higher living. Is it easy? No. That's why you need Christ. Spirit-filled employees work respectfully. Let me give you the second point. Spirit-filled employees work wholeheartedly. Spirit-filled employees work wholeheartedly. Not with half their heart, but with their whole heart. Look at verse 6 with me. Not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Employees, listen to me. When you're at work, don't just do your best when everybody's watching. I, I, I can relate to this as a basketball player. Teddy, I, they, we used to do suicides. Anybody remember those? Come on, Jeremiah, you remember having to do, and you always have to touch the line. If this was the line right here, you know, you might want to, right? But when the coach was watching, you want to get all the way up there. Did you see me, coach? I touched all the lines, right? God's watching. He wants to see you touch the line. Don't just do it by way of eye service. You're not doing it to please people, but you're saying, hey, look, before I was ever a servant of this job, I made myself a servant of Christ. And he calls me to do it wholeheartedly, to do it from the heart. When you go to work Monday or Tuesday, because you might have an off day tomorrow, might be a day to just get ready for this next work week, praise the Lord. When you go to work, go in that mug with a whole heart. Give it your best. Let God do the rest. Give it your best. Let God do the rest. Wholehearted, spirit-filled work. I know you don't know my job, though. I know, but I know you're God. And he says to do it wholeheartedly. Spirit-filled work wholeheartedly. Let me give you the next point. Spirit-filled employees work expectantly. Spirit-filled employees work expectantly. What do I mean by that? Verse 7 and 8 says, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, 
whether he is a bondservant or is free. What's that talking about? He's saying, he's saying, spirit-filled employees, wherever you work, just know you're rendering your service. If you're typing stuff on a computer, you're typing it to the Lord. If you're in machinery and you're working on different engineer items, it's to the Lord. If you're a teacher at one of our high schools, by the way, I love our public schools in Las Vegas. I love our private schools in Las Vegas. I love our charter schools in Las Vegas. I love our preschools in Las Vegas. I love our teachers, amen, in Las Vegas, our educators. Can we just give it up for all of them? It's been so hard to do their job, especially behind the screen and without the pretty smiling faces of all the children. When you're doing it on your Zoom call, it's to the Lord. Wherever, it, when you're selling homes and you're showing a house and another person backs out last minute, <laughs> just know you're, you're doing it to the Lord. Right? When, when, when you're serving people food at a restaurant and they leave a shallow tip, just know you're rendering service with a goodwill as to the Lord, not to man. I wasn't serving the table to serve the table. I was serving the table to serve the Lord. If you have that mentality, everything changes. Knowing, you got to know this. You got to have this expectancy. God is big enough. God is close enough. You got to know that you know that you know. Look at the person next to you say, you got to know this. You got to know this. Tell them again. Say, you got to know this. Online, you got to know this. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. I love that right there. He's watching. Our God is watching. You don't think anybody's watching. Your boss called off. Your boss has a boss. His name is Jesus. He's watching. Whether he is a bondservant or is free. So here's what Paul is saying. He says, hey, Ephesian church, the... Paul wrote a letter to the Ephesians. He thought, there's likely people that are slaves. There's likely people that are free in the congregation. He says, whether you're free or you're a bondservant, just know that God's watching. So work expectantly for God to move. Work expectantly for God to show up, for God to meet you there. Work expectantly. Paul transitions here from employees to now employers, all right? To employers, to all my bosses and CEOs in the room that have employees under them, God has some instruction for you. Spirit-filled employers practice the golden rule, right? Spirit-filled employers, those who have authority, those who are a CEO or a boss or you have employees under you, practice the golden rule. What's the Golden rule. Does anybody know it? Come on, somebody shout it out if you know it. Treat others how you want to be treated. The golden rule is to love people. Come on, Valentine's Day. How you want to be loved. Treat people the way you want to be treated. The reason why slavery breaks down is because it's against the great commandment. Because I'd never met any masters who wanted to be slaves. So if that's the case... How do you love them that way? Paul is helping us do that. Paul is helping the employers practice the golden rule. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. 
Jesus says, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Y'all still tracking with me? For this is the law and the prophets. If you want to boil down the law of God, all 613 laws, you want to boil down all the prophetic words throughout the Old Testament, and even in Jesus' day, here it is. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do it to them. If you want people to be nice to you, be nice to them. If you want people to honor you, honor them. If you want people to love you, love them. If you want people to hold the door for you, hold the door for them. If you want people to tip you well, friend, you better start tipping well. If you want people to stop cutting you off, Come on, man. Y'all with me? Right? This is spirit-filled living. It implies to employers and masters. Ephesians 6, 9. Masters, do the same to them. Right? We just got all of this context for employees, and now he says, and masters, same thing. Do the same to them. Live out the golden rule. Love people well. Love your employees well. Serve through a spirit of humility, not a spirit that's proud. You don't have to be domineering. You don't have to show everybody who's boss. In fact, you can do the same how you want them to be treated. Spirit-filled employers build up rather than tear down. Spirit-filled employers, they build each other up. They build their employees up. In fact, in the Roman Empire, there's a lot of testimony of masters that made their slaves their best friends and taught them their trade and built them up. And when they were free, they were able to be leaders in the society. That was a right relationship of application of Ephesians chapter 6. That didn't always happen. It wasn't always the case. But there were several cases like that. Even in the Apostle Paul's exchange with the governor in the book of Acts, Felix, historical documents show that Felix was once a slave. His family was a part of slavery. And then he was set free and then grew all the way up to be the governor who who was ministered to by the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. It can happen. Spirit-filled employers build up rather than tear down. Look at verse 9. Masters. Do the same to them and stop your threatening. You got to stop your threatening. That the work relationship shouldn't be a relationship that's filled with threatening. That it shouldn't be a, a place to say, if you do this, then I'll do that. If you do this, then this is what's going to happen. That that shouldn't be the context of the work employee, employer relationship. The spirit-filled employers, they don't, threaten, but they build up. They say, how can I help you? How can I get in the game with you? How can I lead with you? How can I be a resource for you? They don't use these verses as weapons. They use these verses as wisdom. That was the the purpose of Ephesians 6. Spirit-filled employers lead under the authority of Christ. Here it goes. Check this out. Masters, Do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. Spirit-filled employers, lead from the posture that you have an employer. Every master or boss or CEO has a boss. The Lord. Right? 
The Lord is the boss and the master of all of the masters on earth. God is not a respecter of persons. God is looking for obedience and faithfulness. He's looking for love. He's looking for genuine hearts. He's looking for those who are going to serve the Lord when everybody's watching and serve the Lord when nobody's watching. Everybody say final point. Say thank you, Jesus. <laughs> final point. Here we go. Last point. Last point. This is a long sermon, I know. Thank you guys for your grace. Final point. Spirit-filled employers show no partiality. Spirit-filled employers show no partiality. All right? Hear me, church. Employers, don't be partial towards specific people. That's not the way Christ called us to live. Looking at verse 9 one more time. Masters, do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. This master who we have in heaven, this God, this Savior named Jesus, looks at the world and doesn't show partiality to anybody. And therefore, we should do the same. Amen? Employees don't show partiality to specific bosses. Employers don't show partiality to specific employees. I praise God that that's not the God we serve. Acts chapter 10, verse 34 and 35. Peter began to speak. This context right here and we're done. The disciple Peter, the one that walked on water, in the book of Acts, did you guys know this? That Peter would not share the gospel with anybody who was not a Jew. That Peter had some ethnic, racial stuff in his own heart toward Gentiles. And then Peter had a dream and God spoke to him through a dream in Acts chapter 10 and said, look, I love everybody, Gentiles, Greeks, Las Vegans, and beyond, and they need to hear the gospel. And Peter went downstairs, and he saw a man named Cornelius, a Gentile, outside. And Peter says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. God accepts from every nation. Ooh, I love it. The one who fears him and does what is right. So that's my prayer for us. That even in this difficult sermon passage, that we would fix our eyes on Christ. Amen? If you focus on other people alone, they're going to let you down. If you focus on your boss and your masters in this case, they're going to let you down. If you focus only on your slaves, employees in this text, they're going to let you down. But if you focus on Christ, in fact, watch this with me. I want, when I point to the screen, I want you to say the word, all right? Can we just look at uh, Ephesians 6, verse 5? We're going to read through this entire chunk of scripture one more time. The verses for today. Okay, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of. Doing the will of God from the heart. Next verse. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and, and to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, 
whether he is a bondservant or is free. Next verse. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, that there's no partiality. Each one of these verses, all five verses that deal with slaves and masters, each one of those verses have Christ in it. And each one of those verses are to point the employee and the employer to not focus on man, but to focus on Christ. Let me focus on Christ. That's going to help me walk. That's going to help me deal with this. It's going to help me learn. It's going to help me serve. It's going to help me do my job. Focus on Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, we trust you. We honor you. And Jesus, I just know that this sermon was hard for me to preach. And I'm sure it was hard for people to hear. It's not comfortable. And God, I know that there's different people in the room today who feel a lot of different emotion about this subject. And God, I do also know that different people are in jobs that are not healthy and employers that are not Christian and employees that are not Christian. God, thank you that you don't see secular and sacred lines. It's all sacred. Our secular jobs are sacred. Everything we do is to you, Lord. Everything to you has, is a big deal. And so, God, if there's anybody here today that's just wrestling with work relationships, boss, CEO, company, employer, employee, God, would you give them grace and motivation to serve well, to lead well, never to do anything that's outside of your word, but in the context of your word, would they serve well? Employers and employees. And Jesus, if there's somebody here today that is far from you and needs to be saved, God, I pray today would be the day of salvation for them, that they would turn from their sins and turn to Christ. Today you can do that. Today you can just say, Jesus, I believe you. I need you. I want you. You died for my sins. You rose from the grave. You've defeated death and hell. And you're coming back again. Jesus, help us. Help us, Lord. God, I pray that you would do that. And that, God, for anybody here that needs to make a decision, whether that's to get in a group or to get plugged in or to fill out a connection card or to make it into work on Tuesday or Monday with a whole heart, I pray that you would help them do just that. And God, I would, I would be remiss if I didn't wrap up this prayer right now by saying, Jesus, would you eliminate slavery in all the earth? And would you use Walk Church to help be a vessel for that? Would you use Walk Church to help be a tool in your tool belt, Jesus, for eliminating and eradicating slavery in all the earth? May it start right here in Las Vegas when we see it diminish we would see gospel laborers do the work. Help us, Father, in Jesus Christ's name, for your glory. Amen. Amen. Amen.